Hello and welcome to The Planet Today, where we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy. It's Friday, May 19th, 2023. I'm your host, Matt Norton, here with producer and co-host Nick Chanusa. Nick, we actually do have a correction from a listener last week. Get out of town. No way. Who is it? Yeah, shout out to my buddy James Bonavita, who reached out to me about induction stoves. Uh, as requested, I said, if you know more about this than I do, please reach out. <laughs> and he said that it's not about needing special pans. It's just that the pans need to be made of a magnetic metal. So certain pans won't work. And the way it works is it heats pans by vibrating the atoms of the metal in the pan through the use of electromagnets. So there's going to be less energy loss while cooking. Thank you, James. That was way smarter and more succinct than I ever could have come up with myself. By far, far and away. Thank you, James. Uh, clearing the air on induction cooking and induction stoves. Huge. Thank you. Don't say we don't do any fact checking for you. Sometimes we do it in real time. Sometimes we rely on our listeners to do it a week late. So uh, yeah, thank you, James. And with that, let's get into today's show. for our quick hits for the week. And the first one is by Ben Adler of Yahoo News, who writes, the EPA has a plan to eliminate climate pollution from power plants, but will it survive in court? The EPA's latest proposal is the largest ever climate change regulation in U.S. history, where the agency proposed a 90% reduction in carbon dioxide emissions by 2040 for the largest power plants in the country. With electricity being only second to transportation as the largest sources of carbon emissions, this would be a major step forward in President Biden's plan to cut emissions in the country in half by 2030. Coal industry advocates such as West Virginia Senator and coal baron Joe Manchin feel that this is government overreach. Instead of cutting emissions by 2030, this proposal says that coal plans can commit to being out of service before 2040. The EPA estimates that this rule would prevent roughly 1,300 premature deaths, more than 300,000 asthma attacks, and 66,000 lost workdays. This adds up to an estimated $85 billion in health benefits through 2042. On the other hand, the article says it's likely that this would lead to many power plants shutting down instead of reducing emissions, to which the EPA would counter that solar and wind are going fast and power plants can switch to those by 2030 without increasing their costs. Yeah, so it's very likely that this is going to go to the Supreme Court, much like West Virginia versus EPA did last year, where the court overturned President Obama's clean power plan. The argument's basically going to come down to the EPA's job is being to protect the environment, you know, Environmental Protection Agency, it's right in the name. That includes making sure that our air and our water remain clean. So by that logic, they can regulate pollution. They do not explicitly have the authority to regulate what kind of energy is produced. So advocates of this are going to say that they're not doing that. They're just outlawing heavy pollutants. And those heavy pollutants happen to come from these sources of fuel. Yeah. Opponents are going to say that this decision implies regulation on energy. 
So unlike President Obama's clean power plan, this standard is set based on, quote, technology that can be used at a power plant. So that wording right there presents a stronger chance that this can be upheld in court. But the main critique that I'm seeing of this proposal is that it doesn't apply to gas power plants. So this is going to be great to limit the major coal producing power plants, but that's only 147 of the country's 3,400 fossil fuel power plants. So I've seen some environmental advocates online saying, hey, this is good. This doesn't go far enough. Yeah, that's understandable. Uh, When you're talking about only 147 of 3,400, that's not a great deal. But every difference or every small change matters. And this is one I think you, you can't overlook. And and, you know, if it does go to Supreme Court, I think that the EPA will have solid backing on on what they're doing and why. They're just uh, they're basically just doing exactly what the government wants them to do. So I don't know how they could be uh, faulted for that. Well, it's, it's really just going to come down to like the way that this is worded differently than the clean power plan. So, you know, we were very reasonably annoyed last year when the Supreme Court overturned that. Yes. This is an example of learning from past mistakes. So, you know, it's it's set specifically on technology at power plants. So with that, you know, sure, they're looking to protect the environment, the public from heavy pollutants related to those emissions. But in doing so, you know, now you're able to expand that to technology at a power plant because it's right in the proposal. So, yeah, I am a lot more hopeful than I was with. West Virginia versus EPA. Um, that being said, I have pretty low expectations for the current makeup of the Supreme Court. So, yeah, we'll, we'll keep an eye on this for sure. You know, definitely something we're going to have to monitor closely and talk about again in the future. But I'm feeling good. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Go ahead. Um, there's definitely going to be some follow up from this. So stay tuned to The Planet Today, your source on everything environmental news. All right. Our next story is a Brazilian Amazon update from Yale Environment 360 through Reuters. It's titled Amazon deforestation down 40% so far this year. So that number that Nick just stated is compared to the same time period last year. So this is a huge win for Lula through April. President Luis Inacio Lula da Silva, or Lula, promised to end deforestation of the Amazon in Brazil when he was reelected as president this year. Deforestation typically peaks in the summer, so we're going to have to see whether or not this trend of deforestation decreasing continues. Deforestation was down 68% in April, which follows up on a strong January and March. In February, deforestation actually increased compared to February 2022, and I remember we had that on the show. We, We talked about that. And some of that may have been deforestation from January that went unobserved at the time. So the monthly data is kind of less important than the January through April numbers. Despite the decrease in deforestation rate, deforestation is still high. Mariana Napolitano of WWF Brazil said that the numbers are high and that the dry season hasn't started quite yet. Dry seasons tend to favor deforestation. So this is definitely going to be an ongoing battle. Yeah, you know, dry dry seasons are also going to increase prevalence of drought. So every single tree that gets cut down, it it almost matters more. And that's not to say that there's ever a time where it doesn't matter. But Mm -hmm. during those dry seasons, you know, you you need all of those trees to stay healthy because some of them aren't going to make it naturally. And some of them are going to be lost due to wildfire during those dry seasons. So deforestation, always tough. 
deforestation during a dry season, it just, it feels worse. Yeah. So the thing that I wanted to bring up that's really important about this, and it's something that you had just mentioned, looking at these on a month by month basis doesn't really matter as much as looking at this over a quarter, or in this case, a third of a year, Mm -hmm. or as we start to develop more half a year, a full year, because we saw January, there was, I think, record deforestation decrease for that month. And we were like, this is amazing, really good news, but let's not call the the battle against deforestation one just yet. Yeah. And then, like you said, we followed up with February where deforestation was up. And how much of that is actually up versus just reported? You know, it's it's hard to say. Once you get into April and you're looking at four months of data, you know, it doesn't matter if January numbers were actually a bit higher than they they probably looked. So that means mm-hmm. February was lower. We're now looking at a longer period of time, a longer sample size. And what we're seeing is deforestation is down 40% so far this year. And that's huge. Yeah, it, it's a great number. It's a fantastic number. And it's something that Lula can can say, oh, all right, all right, we actually are making good progress here. And yeah, I mean, hopefully we can get even better numbers throughout this whole year. But uh, like you said, the dry dry seasons do tend to favor deforestation. And if we had as many wildfires as we did last year and, and heat stories as we did last year, you know, I got to say that we might be in for it again this summer. So we'll just kind of wait and see. So what I will add to that, though, is I, I think that we're in a, an even better spot right now than we think, because one of the things we talked about in February was there's this fund that's been set up to help end deforestation in the Amazon. I think mm-hmm. Germany and... Portugal's jumping out at me for some reason, but that could be wrong. There were two countries that have basically been amplifying that fund the most. And one of the things Lula wanted to do was say, let's go out and deforestation so that people will believe in us again. So that people will realize that Bolsonaro isn't our president anymore. So we actually have ending deforestation at the forefront of policy and they will be more likely to donate to that fund to contribute to helping end deforestation. So I think without those numbers being drastically bumped up, it's going to be harder to get people to to contribute to that fund. When you're looking at a 40% decrease through the first four months of the year, that's something that the industrial world, you know, those, those larger countries with larger economies are going to say, hey, this is working. We can help out. We can trust them to get the job done. So yeah. 40% is great, but I, I think it's even better than it appears on the surface level. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a really good point. All right. It is time once again for this week's environmental policy roundup. Second time we're trying this. If you like it, let us know. If you hate it, let us know. Um, It's a new segment, something we're workshopping. The European Union and its member states are working to decarbonize European economies. A new renewable energy target has been set to get 42.5% of the EU's energy from renewables by the end of this decade. The final law still needs approval by EU Parliament and the EU member states, but that typically does not lead to changes in the proposal. The existing target is set for 32% renewable energy by 2030. So this new proposal would have a legally binding 10.5% increase while also encouraging members to aim for 45% renewables by 2030. Ecuador has converted $1.6 billion of debt into a loan and laid the foundation of a conservation program for the Galapagos Islands. This is called a debt for nature swap, and it is a strategy for governments to reduce their debt in exchange for committed funding towards protection of nature. 
This loan will be repaid over the next 18 years and releases $17 million per year to conservation. Starting this September, the country plans to use the funds to fight climate change and overfishing threats to the Galapagos ecosystem. In Argentina, native woodlands are threatened by expanding soy farming and cattle ranching. Farmers have typically been willing to accept those low fines for clearing land in order to benefit from the high price of grains globally. Over half the country's deforestation since the 2007 law that regulates forest clearing has been illegal. Global soy prices have been higher since 2021, which has only exacerbated this problem, which seems like it'll only improve if fines are made higher or if grain prices begin to stabilize. Yeah, I mean, if these guys, if the farmers are continuously clearing land and and contributing to deforestation, we have to up the prices. You have to up the prices and, and the fines for clearing land. Otherwise, this is just going to continue to happen. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And honestly, if it's not about increasing the fines, it's something that every single person in the world could probably benefit from right now. <laughs> Grain prices need to stabilize. Like Groceries are expensive across the world right now. Yes. So like you said, you know, right now, the price of grains, the price of soy is outweighing those fines. So like one of those two or both need to change. And the thing that I want to focus on from this week's roundup is that first story, the EU um, proposal to increase renewable energy. Absolutely great to see that they're increasing their targets by over 10%. What I am hopeful for is that a lot of those countries don't say we reached 42.5%. We did it. Hands are clean. Clean. Great job all around. (laughs) Like go for 45, go for 50. You know, like don't let the minimum be the goal. That's just, oh, I feel like that's just always how this works though. Countries consistently go for the absolute bare minimum target. And it's like, if we don't hold them to higher standards, they they just will never do it. Yeah. All right. So those stories are in your show notes. If you want to read them in more detail, Nick and I are going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we got two more quick hits for you. Today's episode of The Planet Today is brought to you by Valo Alta. Valo Alta's Everyday Handkerchief is a high-performance daily-use handkerchief designed to help minimize your impact. Made in the United States from sustainably sourced Irish linen, capturing the material's historic craftsmanship and natural antimicrobial properties, handkerchiefs perfectly balance softness with durability and absorbency with rapid drying. Ideal for functional use in all settings from the outdoors to routine encounters, their small and lightweight design makes one a must-carry for wherever life takes you. Build your own bundles from limited edition colors at valalta.co and save 15% with code TPT at checkout. That's V-A-L-A-A-L-T-A dot co and code TPT. Welcome back to the planet today, folks. Next up, Climate Misinformation is Becoming Law by Ariel Samuelson and Emily Atkin of Heated. This article talks about how Ohio and Tennessee's governors have signed bills this year designating methane gas as a green or clean energy. 
before we move on to the rest of this article, I just want to be absolutely clear. It is not either of those things. It's composed of mostly methane, which is the most potent greenhouse gas. You know, every time we talk about methane on this show, we have a reminder that scientists say the quickest way to see the best reduction in greenhouse gas emissions is to stop methane leaks. So definitely not green, definitely not clean. Yeah. The difference between the two bills is that Mike DeWine of Ohio was heavily criticized for his bill in January. The bill signed by Tennessee Governor Bill Lee last month didn't receive nearly as much coverage. The oil and gas industry has been calling methane natural gas, and the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or IPCC, says that methane gas has contributed to the largest increase in global CO2 emissions in recent years. It's basically been the part of a major marketing plan by the oil and gas industry and oil and gas lobbyists, but this also has major legal implications. By calling it clean energy or calling it green energy, climate-friendly funding can actually be used on a fossil fuel project. Tennessee's law goes as far as to say that local governments setting clean energy standards need to include gas in their definition of clean energy. This article goes on to discuss the donations received by the people who contribute to these bills. As you can probably guess, they are all heavily influenced by the oil and gas industry. The fossil fuel industry is fighting as hard as it can to keep the industry relevant in the near future. And the easiest way for them to do that is to fund disinformation campaigns or politicians who will oppose the clean energy transition. Yeah, and the thing that's really frustrating for me here is oil and gas, like they don't need to be doing this right now when when they're experiencing record profits still. Like they're not doing bad right now. And, and you know, they see the writing on the wall. They recognize that our, our entire economy is starting to transition to a clean energy economy. It's not moving fast. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not moving nearly as fast as, as environmental activists, of which I consider myself would like. So that's, that's where I get frustrated. You know, you see like rising prices at the gas pump. Yep. And the problem with those ref- record profits is that we're also seeing that the oil and gas industry has been so heavily subsidized by pretty much every industrialized nation that has relied on a fossil fuel economy. So I, I don't feel bad when we see, oh, the renewable in- energy industry is getting all these new subsidies. Like, why should taxpayers be helping pay for it? We've been helping pay for this forever. Yeah, It's just a new source. So look, if we want to cut subsidies to, to both, it's going to get way more expensive to heat your home during the winter, regardless of, of where you are getting your energy from. It's just, we have made it so cheap or like appear so cheap to use gas, to use oil. Like that's what we're seeing here. It's just, it's greed from the industry. Yeah, it really is. And like, that that Tennessee law is like actually scary because saying that local governments need to set clean energy standards that include natural gas in their definition of clean energy, mm-hmm. that I, I don't want that spreading to like the rest of the South and or just throughout the country, I guess I should say. And it's just a really dangerous claim to make. And especially when it's just straight up false. That's that's yeah. the craziest part is yeah. that like it's actually false. And you can like lead people into believing that it's just not and it's clean. I don't know. It just makes no sense to me. 
uh, shows you how screwed up our politics are in this country. And the thing that I'm concerned about is like, we look at a lot of states that are, hey, we're all about small government. Well, now all of a sudden you have bills that are just outright banning cities from making their own decisions. Yeah. So in in what world does that ever happen? And when have we ever been okay with that? I don't know. But also how is that small government? You know, like if, if the federal government can't tell a state what to do, then a state shouldn't be able to tell a city what to do. Yeah. So I like, I, let me also just preface this for the the listeners. Like, I don't believe that, (laughs) you know, like I, uh, I'll like hand up. I'm a big government guy, but if your argument is that small government's better then why can states influence cities when cities have their own city councils that are elected cities have their own mayors, like right, let them right. make decisions if you don't want, you know, a government telling your government what to do. So I don't know. I think another point that we should really touch on quickly is just money in politics. And I feel like every time we bring this up, we say, unfortunately it's never going to happen, but like the best way we could see genuine change in the right direction is getting big money out of politics, you know, like overturning Citizens United and and getting it so that a corporation does not have more power than your, your voters, than your electorate. Like the people that are being represented, we are spoken for by the oil and gas industry right now and by every other industry that is lining politicians pockets and it sucks. So I, I don't know what it's going to take to get big money out of politics, but I think that's something that would really just benefit everybody. You know, if the people you're electing are really serving you and not lobbyists, we're looking at a different world. I just look at how much money you make as like a whatever, you know, s- senator, or whatever it is. And I, or like Diane Feinstein, Feinstein, who's made millions while like she's been in office because her husband's made like a bunch of transactions that have been very timely, let's say. Yeah. She's also not the only one. And like, Oh yeah. It's so frustrating that every so often you have a new Senator where it's like, Hey, look at all these, uh, like basically insider trades they've made recently. Yeah. That's convenient. It's like, no, it's not convenient. It should be illegal. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So just completely making it a position where you're actually serving people. You're not making a bunch of money and you're not in a position of power where you can just like straight up abuse it. Yeah, exactly. Abuse your power that you're given. Um, because once these people get it like an, an, a little touch of power, that's it. It's over. Yeah, they're done. What's, what's they're, the phrase? They're no longer human. It's uh, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yeah, exactly. That's a great one. So, yeah, I don't know. I know that there's currently a bill in the House that's being uh, co-sponsored by AOC and Matt Gates, who I, I never thought would work together on anything. And it's about banning, like holding stock yes. while you are an active member of, of the House or the Senate. That's a really good idea. And I don't think it's going to pass. Yeah. And we really should have thought that one through, huh? And and who's voting on it? Yeah. Honestly, like I would even be cool at this point if we just like grandfathered people in where it's like, hey, like the next time someone's elected, they can't do this. Like, because then maybe people will say, all right, this won't affect me. I could still do my insider trading. That's yeah. basically legal for me for whatever reason. Sure. I'll sign this. <laughs> all right. Let's move on to our last quick hit of the week. And it's from ABC News Australia, where Isabel Rowe writes platypuses return to Sydney's Royal National Park after disappearing for decades. Exciting news from Sydney, Australia, where platypuses have been rehomed in the Royal National Park after leaving roughly 50 years ago due to a major chemical spill nearby. 
The report says platypus numbers may have been declining prior to that spill, but it was at the very least a contributor. This project to reintroduce five females to the Hacking River was led by the University of New South Wales, New South Wales National Parks and Wildlife Service, and the World Wildlife Fund. Next week, a group of males will be introduced. The platypuses were kept at the Taronga Zoo's platypus refuge while they waited to be taken to their new home. Rob Brewster of the WWF said that keeping the females and males separate was actually key to their survival because it's important to let the females settle in before the boulder males are introduced. If the initial reintroduction is successful, then the population should hopefully multiply from there. We are less than a week from Mother's Day, so I just want to shout out any moms that are listening that just heard, like, it's important to let the females settle in before the bolder males are introduced. They're probably like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that cha- that checks out. Yeah, unfortunately <laughs> true. So we are obviously rooting for the early survival of this group, but also for their population to grow in the near to long term. Director of Taronga Zoo's Conservation Society, Cameron Kerr, calls platypuses the silent victim of climate change because they are pretty elusive. In other words, like we don't see them being impacted on the front lines the way that we see polar bears because they're just harder to spot. So they are susceptible to drought and to environmental change. So this is just an all around important conservation project. Each of the platypuses has received a checkup from a vet and is now wearing a transmitter. So that's going to help scientists monitor them as they travel around their new environment. Nice. Yeah, this is a really cool one. Uh, I always forget that platypuses are like an actual animal. I always think of... Um, Perry? What was that show? Yeah, Phineas and Ferb, right? Yeah. Yeah. I always AGP. think of that show and I'm like, yeah, that's not real. That can't be a real thing. So uh, they do exist and their population is, you know, should be a little bit higher. So uh, definitely looking forward to their population multiplying and getting better. I'm also picturing them just like having beers before all the females come in. Yeah. And the funny thing about you saying, like, I always forget they're real is like when you look up a platypus on paper, they, they shouldn't be real. Like <laughs> they have a beaver tail, a duck bill. They're a mammal that lays eggs. They're only one of two animals that actually does that. Yeah. Uh, the echidna is the other one. They are, they have like these venomous spores on their, uh, or spires. I think they're called on their paws. So like, it's, it's just kind of a different combination of animals that you would think like a scientist put together. And was like, hey, yeah, let's take yeah. this from this animal, this from this. Oh, here's a platypus. So you're right. Like they don't seem real. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, um, what was that book? Uh, like Animorphs? Or what, yeah, 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 yeah. Animorphs. Yes, Animorphs. That's what it reminds me of. Like on the cover, it was always like the guy f- turning into, a, into like, a jaguar or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. All right, that will do it for today's episode of TPT. We will be back next Friday for another episode, but until then, please go give the show a five-star rating and review wherever you can and follow our socials at Planet Today Pod. Nick Shanusa produces our show and makes all the music you hear throughout. Nick, where can people hear more of your stuff? You can hear more from me at soundcloud.com slash Cape, and that is B-U-D-L-Y-N-C-A-P-E. Go check me out, y'all. Our logo was made by Kaylee Vietz. Have a great weekend, everyone, and we will catch you right here next Friday. Peace.